Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. They shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. This is the word of the Lord. And we say, thanks be to God. I, 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 in my church, we, we, we always say that. And it's, I, it's an important part. Did you mind saying it with me? Because we're going to thank God. So this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's good. Um, there's wonderful truth in this um, passage, and there's wonderful stuff that we can get our hands on. Uh, outside, there's a huge festival going on. There's excitement. Uh, it's a wonderful thing that people are excited. But in here, we, we have the Word of God, and we have His power that we can draw on. And that's what we hope to look to tonight, to open up this passage, because this passage is all about sight. I I want you to start by picturing that man, that blind man. He's just sitting by the side of the street. He's blind, he's broken, and he's begging. What do you think about it? What's going through your head? It's a very contemporary picture, isn't it? It's kind of that picture that confronted Jesus is a picture that we see all the time. I was thinking this as I, I was wandering around this, this week. I, I was walking a dog, and I walked past a man, and he was just lying on a bench. He, he was drunk and asleep in the middle of the day, and he was lying there. And, and I know him sort of a little bit from the work of a church in the area, but he didn't even recognize me as I went past. He was so gone. He was so drunk. It, it is this picture of suffering that we see on the streets, this picture um, of, of pain We walk past every day. We have the same situation that Jesus has. We walk past this person and think, what can be done? What can I do for this person? And tonight we're going to look at, what can Jesus do for this man? So who is this man? How is he suffering? Um, Verse 35, you just look down at that. It says, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting at the roadside begging. He heard the crowd go by and asked, what's happening? 
You see, what can we tell from that part of the passage? So this man's sitting by the side of the road. He's begging. So he can't make, he hasn't got a job for himself. He can't make money for himself to, uh, for food. He, he was outside the city. In that culture, a disabled man like him would be thought of as cursed by kind of the spiritual people, the religious, and maybe and ostracized. Um, and also, he was calling out to people coming past. He didn't seem to have any friends or family to support him. This man was jobless, friendless, and he was distanced by society. And this is all because he was blind, all because he couldn't see. He was in darkness. One of the darkest places uh, I, I've ever been to is, is on one of my first dates um, with my, my, my wife, my now wife. That, that, that sounds bad, right? Um, this was because I was trying to impress her, though. So, so I was trying to impress her by taking her to this restaurant. Um, and, and it's like one in central London. I think you can still go there. Uh, I, I'm very bad at French, but Don Le Noir. So, so, so it's like this restaurant in the dark. It's amazing, and it's really cool. And you walk in there, and you are hit by a wall of darkness. You just can't see anything as you go in. You're led in by the, the waiter, and he puts you at long tables. And you, as a couple, are sat next to lots of other people. And it's, oh, it's quite interesting chatting away to people in the dark, having no idea what they look like. Um, but there are some, some, some dangers to dating in the dark. <laughs> I just like alliteration, it's fun. Um, so, so there are some dangers to uh, dating in the dark. Um, first of all, right, okay, it, on a date, maybe you want to reach across the table and hold your date's hand. You, you're really smooth, you try and do that. But, you know, how do you know it's her hand? There's lots of people on this table. You reach over, you can grab anyone's hand. Number one danger. Second danger, like you can hear her enjoying her food. Oh, that sounds really good. Oh, she's saying, oh, I love this, I love this. And you think, well, she's not going to see me if I just slide my hand over the table and grab a piece. But there's a danger. She could stab you with a fork. You can't see. There's all this danger in the dark. And lastly, one of the greatest benefits, which I really quite enjoyed, was table manners, right? You know on a date you have to kind of like pretend you know how to use a knife and fork and you eat all pretty. But here, you're in the dark. It doesn't matter. So, so you pick up the bowl. You kind of like, yeah, oh, yeah, no, no, that's good. And then you're like... Oh, I can just, just lick it straight out of the bowl. I know that sounds terrible. But you see, the danger is then you come out the other side, and I came out literally with food all over my face, all over my front, and it come out into the light of day. Um, so, so dating is dangerous in the dark. But also, yeah, living is dangerous in the dark too. If we live in darkness, we can stumble over things, we trip over things, things go wrong, people get hurt. And... Um, I, I think when we look at this blind man, he is in some way representing a picture of the world, a world in darkness, as um, John describes in John 1 um, in his gospel. Uh, in some way, the world has lost its sight. Um, it has started to presume that um, all there is is what it can physically see, um, it, and it doesn't look for anything outside of itself, any greater spiritual reality. So in one way, the whole world is walking around blind, it's tripping over each other, it's bumping into each other, and lots of suffering comes out of it. But where would this darkness come from? In the Bible, you, they use this illustration a lot, which is quite nice. So you, you can see um, in Genesis, on the first day, 
Um, you know, you got that famous verse, and God said, let there be light. He didn't create the sun and the moon until days later. So, so this light was coming from God alone. It wasn't the sun, the moon, or the stars, but it was just God. And uh, Psalm uh, 119, a famous psalm, big long psalm, but it's got this amazing kind of bit where it says, God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. There's this idea in the Bible that God is our light. God is our guide in this dark world. But you see, the problem is that we decided to try and find our own way. Try and find our own way without the light of God to support us. We trusted in our own strength, not in God's. We trusted in our vision, not his vision. And we just trusted in the stuff our physical eyes could see. And, and I mean, th- this is the fall. This is Adam and Eve falling into darkness. This is the thing we do over and over again. This could be a definition of sin. But you see, as we walk off into that darkness, we are unsure of where we're stepping. We can't see this greater spiritual reality that is out there. And we trip over, and we suffer, and we sin, and we make mistakes over and over again. But what is the impact of living in darkness? Well, how does that affect us? Let's look at that man again, that blind man at the side of the road. First of all, you see that his daily kind of need to survive becomes the dominating force in his life. All he does every day, he gets up and he goes out and he's begging for food. He's desperate just to get by that next day. In the same way, we can slip into that thing, particularly when stuff's going hard, when it's a hard week. We'll slip into that thing of just surviving, of ticking along. And on a basic level, kind of through our lives, we we just want to tick off those kind of basic things where where we're going through life, those little tasks, oh, we need to get a job, oh, I really need to get a job now, oh, I really need to get into a relationship, oh, I really need to do this, I really need to do this, just desperately doing the things of life instead of having a moment to enjoy what is there. And I, I think this leads, and you see in the man, it leads to... Him closing his eyes to a greater plan. He sits on this road, and all the way through this, um, he's in Jericho, he's just outside Jericho. People are walking from all over the country, and they're going somewhere. They're going to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. And this this is a yearly festival that celebrates um, the angel passing over in Egypt. Um, God's mercy on his people. This is exactly what this man needs. He needs God's mercy. He needs God's, and that's what he cries out for later. But these people are just walking past him, walking past him, because he's so into, he has to beg, he has to get by every day, that he just closes his mind off. He doesn't join the people processing. He just stays by the side of the street and just, just hands out for a coin. And I think our world sometimes does this too. We plod on day by day, just kind of hitting the next target, just hitting the next thing. And we kind of forget the spiritual reality out there. We, we forget there's anything greater than the next task. We end up spending our entire time kind of doing it than enjoying it. We spend our entire time just plodding along instead of looking for anything greater. The amazing, an amazing verse then happens in here. 
uh, you go to verse 38, and it's quite strange in some ways. But this blind man, it says, he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He sees something the others don't. They're all calling him Jesus of Nazareth, which is just like, oh, he's that guy from that town up the road. But he, this man's going, son of David, son of David. You see, in the midst of his darkness, in the midst of his despair, he cries out for a savior. He cries out for his Messiah. He cries out for someone who, who can change everything. Verse 39 continues, those who led the way rebuked him. They told him, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And this is the world's response to suffering. When they see suffering, they kind of just shush it. They just try and think, well, it'll get better. Don't worry, it'll get better. It's all okay. But you see, if you look at the history of the world, suffering's not going away. It's probably getting worse. This suffering's not getting better. We need, as the man says, we need a savior. We need the son of David. We need the Messiah to change all this. And that's what he sees. And there's this, um, this word when he says shouted out in the middle of verse um, 39. Uh, the Greek kind of, it's almost like an animalistic shouting. It's kind of like a shrieking out. It's like incomprehensible almost that he's shrieking out. Something from deep, deep inside him is calling out for a savior. And I think as we look at our world, our world cries out for a savior too in some ways. I I, I think everyone looks at um, the broken relationships. They look at kind of trapped people. They they look at all the suffering and that people know that's not right. We we don't want that to be the case. Uh, People are supposed to be free, not trapped. They're supposed to be loved, not alone. People should be able to enjoy the world, not spend every moment just trying to get by. This is kind of a cry which I think echoes from all humanity. We want a saviour. We need someone to do something about this suffering. And I'm sure sort of like most of us, most of us here, most of us out there, would think, the same about this. We'll say, well, we do want someone to do something about this. But our claim here is that Jesus is the one who can do something about it. That Jesus is the one with um, the want, the love, and the power to do something about it. So, so let us look at um, Jesus and, and what he does. First of all, the heart of God Verse 40 says, Jesus stopped, ordered the man to be brought to him. You see that first part, it's just he stops. And I just think that seems simple, but he stops. You know, Jesus doesn't just walk by. He stops. He hears the cries of humanity. He hears the cries of suffering, and he stopped. He's not ambivalent to this. Then it says... um, it goes on, it says, when he came near, when the man came near, he, he asked him to come near to him. And um, Jesus, I think this shows something important, that Jesus wants to come close to us. He, want, he sees us in our suffering, he stops. And his first impulse is to come close to us in our suffering. I think that proximity is just really important. It's um, that, that he sees a people lost in the darkness, 
and wants to come close. It, it, it then goes on. Um, Jesus asked him, uh, what do you want me to do for you? It, it seems, it seems a, a strange question, but he, he opens a dialogue with the man. It's not that he just draws him close. There's not that, it's not just that intimacy. He wants to speak to him. He wants to open a relationship, a two-way relationship with him. And that, that, that's why sort of prayer is so important, that we, we should be turning to God in all things, sharing with him our sufferings, sharing with him our burdens. Um, Lord, I want to see, he replied. He expresses his heartfelt desire. He wants to see. Of course he wants to see. He's a blind man. But he, he expresses that to Jesus. And I, I think that that's important as we come and we see the healing power of Jesus. This man could have asked for wealth. He could have asked for all kinds of different things. But it is the sight that he sees. And this is the thing that he is brought out in this passage. This change in this man is due to his sight. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. The man receives his sight and Jesus praises his faith. Uh, without the man's uh, shouts to Jesus, without his persistence, this physical healing wouldn't have taken place. Um, So so overall, we we learn here that Jesus hears our sufferings. He stops. He wants to come close to us. He wants to open dialogue. And his heart is to end suffering. That's great, but he wants to end suffering. He has the heart and the love of God is there. But does he have the power to end suffering? Can Jesus really make a difference in this world? Can he make a difference to that man? Uh, for this, we, we jump back to that conversation at the start, which is a strange conversation which Jesus has with his disciples. And in a strange way, you see them not seeing spiritually what the man later, the blind man, does see. So let's look at that. Verse 31 says, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. You see, Jesus shows us how to live life following the Father. Instead of living in that darkness, walking away from the Father that we discussed, he follows the Father. And, I mean, he follows the Father to Jerusalem. He knows what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He knows he's going to the cross, yet he still does it. He trusts the Father all the way to death. You would think naturally, like your natural reaction would be like, Jesus, run. Jesus, get away. Yet he doesn't. And it shows that in that darkness, um, we can overcome the darkness that we see in the world if we follow God. Second, um, you, you see him suffering, uh, which brings uh, good for us. In verse 32, it says, He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. You see physical and psychological pain, um, which would expose Jesus to the worst suffering possible. I, And worse, it was an unjust suffering. But then even more than that, there seems to be a pain on the cross um, where Jesus uh, cries out, 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, the punishment for us walking away from God should have been God walks away from us. But instead, Jesus takes our place. And on the cross, he's the one abandoned. He's the one who is left crying out on the cross. In a strange sort of way, in that moment on the cross, he is like that blind man. Jesus is like that blind man. He is in a place of suffering. He's in a place of abandonment. And he's a place crying out for the whole of humanity. And it is through his faith in the Father that he is brought through. And the blind man is given new sight. And Jesus brings new life through that. It's all kind of big kind of theology stuff. But, and you can talk the talk about this, and Jesus said lots of these things. But then how can we physically really believe it? How can we believe that he's going to make a difference in um, like that blind man's life, in that homeless man's life that I walked past, uh, in so many people's lives, in our life when we suffer, in our lives when we feel lonely, in our lives when we lose jobs? How do we know Jesus is going to make a difference physically in our life? And the answer is the resurrection. He says on the third day he will rise again. Uh, this is like pivotal because th- this blind man... Um, can know that actually something has changed. Something concrete has changed. In history, 2,000 years ago, Jesus died, and then Jesus came back from the dead. Something happened in that moment, which we can look at and say, if he came back, if God brought him back from the grave, I can come back from the grave. This draws a line under suffering. It draws a line under death. It says, that though these things exist, they won't be the last thing that exists. That after them comes more. So, so that effect on the man is just stunning and wonderful. So verse 43, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. You see, this man is transformed by his encounter with Jesus. He receives his physical sight, which is great. But the next part is even better. He follows Jesus along the road to Jerusalem. He joins in with that procession. He heads off to the Passover. He wants more of God. He wants more of that mercy. He wants more of that love. He wants to see more. And that joyful thing rubs off from him onto the people next to him as well. You see, they praise God as well. It's great to ask for physical healing and help, and sometimes God works in this way, but the higher thing is this spiritual healing, this healing on our eyes that allows us to see the things of God, to change our perspective on the world. Famously, uh, there's uh, this verse uh, from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. It says, For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. You see, there's a world outside of this physical world that we can see. There's a greater world. There's a greater experience out there. Our perspective on our current sufferings is shifted when we see the overall reality of what is happening in our world. 
Uh, we can see in this that God cares for our sufferings and cares for us. And we can see that he has power to act in a world of darkness. So we can go to him with our problems. We can go to him with our worries. We can go to him with everything and know that he will change things. That sufferings will end. That death will end. That one day God will wipe away every tear. So tonight, um, as we draw to a close, let's, let's ask for that sight. That spiritual sight to see through the veil. To see the greater reality of this world, to see the larger spiritual reality, to see all God has planned for us. He's a good, good father. It was just like, that's such a wonderful song. Because we worry sometimes, I think, that God's not good, that he looks at this suffering and he just doesn't care. But from this story, we see him through Jesus, the way he loves the way he comes close, and the way he cares for us in our sufferings. And sufferings can be really bad and really hard, and I'm sure many of you out there are going through really hard things at this time. But we turn to God in these times. We ask God to change our eyes, to heal our sufferings for sure, but to change our eyes that we could see the greater plan, the greater reality. So tonight, let's ask um, God for the sight to see through that veil, to see through that mirror, to see the world the way it really is. Let's ask God for physical healing and more. Let's ask God um, for this life-transforming vision, um, which takes us from suffering and despair to joy and praise. Um, as we end, should we just have uh, just a little time of prayer? I, I, I think sort of it's a very simple prayer in a way tonight, but a very complicated prayer. You can see that man's prayer. He says, I want to see. And I think that is the simple prayer I want to offer up to you. And in a minute, we will pray that. But, but what do you want to see? Maybe, maybe that's you want him to open up your eyes to sort of the places in your life where you've been walking away from him. Maybe you want to ask him to, to just heal those sufferings, to open your eyes to the greater reality in that world of pain that you are in at the moment. Um, and maybe it's just that suffering out there in the world. Maybe you want those eyes of God, that compassion of God, to want to go out there and make a difference. Um, but let's just say that prayer, and then in the quiet, maybe uh, you can speak to God, ask him, ask him what, because uh, he asks you that question, what do you want him to do for you? So uh, let's say just a simple prayer. Lord God, we thank you that you care for us. Please open our eyes and speak into our lives tonight. Amen. just in the silence. Let's just uh, keep our heads bowed. Let's just close our eyes. And um, God speaks in power. God speaks to us. And let's, let us bring our sufferings to him. Let us bring those things in our lives that we're worried about at the moment. Passage finished. 
Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Let's praise God that he healed this blind man. Let's praise God that he heals us. Let's praise God that he comes alongside us in this world of suffering. 